chatting with Tim Alberino here. By the way, Tim, I need to say thanks to our mutual friend, Dave Altman, who put me in contact with you when you came back from Peru. And also you had mentioned Rami Burnett. I don't know him, but I know he was very helpful to you. And I follow both of those guys on X or Twitter. Both were essential to get to speak to you. So I want to pick up the story with some details about, I guess I've heard it compared to the Green Goblin, what these things look like. They always come in twos. Do they come in more than twos? Are they always wearing this body armor and the helmets? Uh, can you describe these helmets, what what the heads are shaped like under those helmets? Uh, yes, they always come in pairs. Um, now, apparently, although they come in pairs, they come in multiple pairs. So you can have different pairs of assailants making incursions into the village at the, at the same time from different parts of the village. Um, as I said earlier, the description, and by the way, I interviewed a lot of people in the village. They were very eager to talk to me. And um, everybody told me, that, everybody gave me the same descriptions. There were, there were no anomalies. Um, uh, there were um, more than a few of the of the of the guys in the village fired at these things. Some of them say they hit them, and when they hit them again with 16 gauge birdshot, when they hit them, they would hear the bird. They they would hear the the uh, uh, the, the BBs yeah. bouncing off some sort of metallic armor. So these mysterious assailants are dressed head to foot in black. They're black armored bodysuits. Um, uh, as I said earlier, they have they, they're wearing these helmets that cover their faces, um, and they're they're the hel- the helmets are are elongated in the back. Um, they also have small backpacks on, uh, hard shell backpacks, um, but they do not use the backpacks for propulsion. Rather, they use their the apparatuses on their boots, on their footwear, and also these circular hoverboard platforms. They're pretty tall, right? That's They're what tall? They They're about, they, they, the way that they were described to me, I'm six, one, and so I would use my height um, as, as, as an example um, and as a reference for the height of these assailants. And, and they're, they're all, they, always, they all said they were taller than me. So we're, we're talking about anywhere from six and a half to seven and a half feet tall. Some of them swore they were even larger. I remember standing, I was standing in a building in the village, and I said, were they as tall as me? No. How tall were they? I, I said, were they this tall? And I put my head about a foot above, my hand about a foot above my head, and they said, no, no, taller. And so I put my hand all the way to the ceiling. Were they this tall? And they said, yeah, yeah, they were that tall. Their heads would have, would have hit the ceiling. So I, I got different, and that would have been, by the way, about seven and a half feet, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe even up to eight feet. Um, I got very different accounts um, in, in, in regard to the, uh, to the height, but, but, but universally uh, everyone said that they were tall, at least as tall as me. Um, now, that may be, be because of whatever technology they have in their, in their boots and their footwear. Maybe that's giving them some six inches or, or, or so of, uh, of height, uh, of additional height. I don't know. Um, they do not carry any weapons in their hands. Um, and they, for the most part, they do not speak, although there is one exception. They do not speak. Um, so these are, are very strange very strange-looking people, 
Um, and whatever their the body armor that they're wearing, whatever that is, it's apparently impervious to 16 gauge shotgun, to a 16 gauge shotgun blast. Although, uh, as I said earlier, one of these assailants was knocked back on his butt, but was not otherwise harmed. By the way, the villagers, uh, these are very clever people. These are not stupid people. These are very clever people. They watch movies. They have cell phones. They know what jetpacks are. They watch all the same movies that you and I watch. Um, so they're very familiar with the state of technology out there in the world, you know, um, as, as familiar as any average American might be. These guys, especially in this village, by the way, these are the Akitu people. This is a this is the Kitu tribe, but they're they're a civilized tribe, and they're they are the last village. There's one more small village up the river, but they're they're basically the last village on the Pintuyaku River, and they're it's a very important village. Um, this is the last village where they speak. Ikitu, or one of the last, it was the original village of the Ikitu people, and so the and because it's in the remote jungle. I mean, north of this village, there's nothing but Amazon jungle. It's just a vast wilderness all around this village, um, all the way to Colombia and Ecuador, um, and so the government um, placed a an outpost there, communication outpost in the village, <clears throat> and the communication outpost has a satellite. Uh, internet uplink. And so uh, these guys can get internet. They can watch movies on their phone at nighttime sitting in this government building, but only in the government building, which is freely accessible to the villagers. So we're not dealing with ignorant people who don't know what a jet, what, you know, what a, what a jetpack is. In fact, when I was there, they were pulling up pictures of jetpacks and stuff and saying, no, no, this, is, this isn't what it was. This isn't what it was. They're pulling these videos up on YouTube. So that's that's important context here for uh, for this situation. This this nickname, face peelers. How did that come about? And and is it something that's been around a long time? Can you can you give us what their word for face peelers is? And has that been around a long time, or it just popped up in relation to these recent incidents? So it's the legend of the pelacaras, which translates to face peelers. Um, and the pelacaras. I heard about the Pelacadas when I lived in the Amazon years ago, 20 years ago. And it's sort of like an old wives' tale where the moms would tell their kids, don't go running around at nighttime, don't go too far away from the house at nighttime where the Pelacadas will get you and peel your face off, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I know that the phenomenon is about 40 years old. It's not older than that. Um, I know that for sure. Because I talked to a lot of the villagers, the elderly people said this was not a thing in our time. And the, and the guys that were my age and older than me said, um, we heard about it when we were kids. But it, so it's about 40 years or so. It goes back to the 1980s, I think, more or less, somewhere in that range. Um, and so it's not an ancient, it's not an ancient legend. It's a relatively new legend, recent legend. Um, and the, the face peelers are thought by the indigenous communities living in the Amazon, they're thought to be one of two things. Some of the villagers would tell you that the face peelers are gringos. They're, they're, it's international organ harvesters. That's what some of them will tell you. Others will say these are extraterrestrials. These are, these are non-human entities. So they're divided. And, 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 and some of these guys vacillate back and forth on, well, maybe they're human. Well, maybe they're not human. Um, because some aspects of the phenomenon definitely seem human. There's no doubt about it. 
But then other aspects of the phenomenon seem like there's some, maybe something else going on. And then, of course, there's a third option, which they haven't really – well, they have actually contemplated this. I was discussing this with a group of these guys in the village. The, the third option would be it's both. It's both and. It's both a human and non-human phenomenon. In other words, there's some sort of a coordination going on here, some sort of a, a cooperation between various factions. Now, as I was saying earlier, uh, uh, we were initially nervous about the cartels when we, for, when we started hearing about these guys wearing armored body suits. But what, what convinced us that we're not dealing with cartels is when we started to hear all the stories about the, the craft that accompany the phenomenon. And, and I really don't know what how to describe them except to say that they're that they're UFO type craft. They hover silently over the village. Uh, um, many of the villagers have encountered. They, in fact, I had several villagers draw in the dirt. They drew the craft in the dirt. They all drew the exact same thing. And basically, what it is is it's sort of an acorn-shaped craft. It's wider in the back and it sort of comes to a point in the front. Um, almost like a delta shape, but rounder than that. It has it has stubby protrusions on the side, on the fuselage, not wings, just these little stubby protrusions that can fold open. And when they fold open, they deploy a series of rapidly blinking lights. The craft are capable of hovering completely silently. And again, many of the villagers saw these craft hovering 30 feet above the village. Uh, one individual... And if you watched, uh, as you've, you've seen in my video on, on YouTube, um, one individual actually drew the craft on, the, on an acrylic board for me. And he said he had an, one day he was out checking his nets at 3 in the morning. And there's, he's checking his nets in the river. And he's pulling his nets up. And suddenly he said it was, like, it was like somebody turned the lights on. It was like daytime instantly. Everything was lit up like daytime. He said, like, the sun just came up. And he's looking down in the water as he's pulling his nets up, and he sees this something bright reflecting above him. He looks up, and 30 feet above him is this craft, the one I just described, this acorn-shaped craft. Now, he's looking straight up at it. He's not seeing a side profile or anything. He's looking directly up at it. And he said that it was transparent, as if it had a, a sort of a, 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 some sort of a mesh around it. And, in fact, he could see two people inside of the craft. One was sort of in the front where the cockpit might be, and another one was in the center of the craft. And, and he described it in great detail. And the, and the craft was, 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 had a light on him. It was illuminating him. And he had a good long look at this thing, and then it accelerated and, and moved off. So, and I asked him, I was very, he was very detailed, very detailed in his description, and it matched what everybody else in the village said. And he said that uh, the craft did not have any propellers, no propulsion system, no conventional propulsion systems to speak of. So it was, didn't have like jet engines on it, no propellers, nothing like that at all. Uh, and it was just hovering there silently above him, 30 feet above him. And again, I want to reiterate, Several of the villagers drew this thing for me, and they all drew the same thing. And so when I realized that we're not just dealing with these strange, tall people with wearing black armored body suits, we're not just dealing with this, this, this technological apparatus on their boots that allows them to float, and we're not just dealing with these circular hoverboard platforms. Um, now we're dealing with advanced aerospace vehicles, UFO-type craft are in the mix and, are, and obviously have something to do with the face peeler phenomenon. 
And uh, it was at that point that I realized, yeah, these, these are not cartels. There's no way that cartels have this technology. I know that cartels, for example, the Mexican cartels, they have military-grade technology. There's no question about it. They have, they have military-grade technology, the very same kind of technology that we deploy to some extent on the battlefields in, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, that same kind of technology they, they have. But they do not have advanced aerospace vehicles. They don't have them. If they had them, they would certainly have deployed them. Um, they're not shy about using whatever technology that they have. This elevated the phenomenon from cartel-type activity to something much more sophisticated and, frankly, much more sinister. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about injuries. So before you went down there, you'd heard these reports from elsewhere in the same general region, but not this village, about these laser beam type attacks and burns that seemed to be intentional. Was there anything like that here uh, other than the assault and the and the wounds on this girl, Talia? Not in San Antonio de Pintuyacu, but in some of the other villagers, in fact, um, I was talking to, to some of the guys from San Antonio, and they were telling me that they have relatives that live up the river in that other village I mentioned, or on a different river, actually. It's on a completely different river, not, not Pintuyaku, but not that far away. And they said that their relatives were reporting the same phenomenon, these guys in these black armored, armored bodysuits, and that in that village, one or two of the villagers had been injured by some sort of a laser beam. That, that these guys, although they don't carry any visible weapons in their hands, so they're not carrying conventional weapons. They're not carrying, for example, automatic weapons with silencers. Rather, they have some sort of a laser technology that they can deploy. Now, no one in San Antonio de Pintuyacu was hit by the laser, but, but as of now, there have been at least a half a dozen cases in Peru all over the, the jungle regions where people have been hit by these lasers. And apparently these lasers have the ability to stun you. And, uh, and uh, as I said, half a dozen people have been injured by them. In San Antonio de Pintuyacu, the one injury that was sustained, um, it was sustained by Talia, by the, by the 15-year-old girl. Um, and it was, her, it was her story that I found most compelling, and, and it was by far the most detailed, because Talia had this terrible confrontation. Um, um, briefly, she was one night, and by the way, they tell me that, that these guys show up, usually show up. They usually make an incursion into the village right at dusk and right at dawn. So right after sun, the sun goes down and right before the sun uh, rises, in, in, right before the sun rises, sets and rises, that's when these guys make their incursions into the village, although they can be seen and the vehicles can be seen around the village and above the village all night long. Um, but Talia says that she was... Uh, she told me that one evening the sun had just gone down. She was picking fruit in her backyard from a tree with a stick, so poking fruit out of a tree in her backyard. Now, her backyard is jungle. It's not on the outskirts of town. It's kind of in the middle of town. There's other, there's other uh, houses, huts around her house, but between them there's sort of this little gully, and it's, and it's forested. There's jungle in there. And... Um, and so she's picking fruit, and she said that she, she knocked the fruit down to the ground, and she can barely see. The sun had just gone down. She can barely see. And she's, she's bent over picking up this fruit, and she noticed, she noticed that the 
suddenly the leaves, the dead leaves on the ground started to rustle, and she felt this, this gentle wind at her back. And she turned around to see what it was. And she said that what she saw was a very tall person dressed as we have described, head to foot in black armored bodysuit with this elongated helmet. He floated up to her on, a, on one of these hoverboard circular platforms. She even describes her like a surfing motion. She even uh, described him as sort of like balancing on this thing. He came right up to her, landed the platform right next to her, and grabbed her from behind. He put his hand over her mouth and grabbed her. And then she saw another guy coming up on another one of these platforms. This guy landed in front of her and grabbed her feet. They proceeded to lift her up together while floating on their platforms, and they they floated her over behind this uh, this chicken coop, this thatch roof chicken coop, in that gully between the houses, in that forested gully. And and it was there that they proceeded to um, to take out a small bottle. They said she said that it was the first thing that they did was they took up this this small packet, and they mixed this cream. One of them mixed some cream in, in his hand. And then they took a, a nasal syringe and sucked up the cream, the solution, and shot it up her nose. Then they took out a larger, uh, they took out a larger tube, and she describes it like a like a toothpaste tube. And it also had cream, a different kind of cream. And they proceeded to smear this all over her face. And when they put this on her face, it instantly made her face go numb. And and here's the bizarre thing about her testimony. Out of everyone I spoke to, she's the only one who says she heard them speak. All right, we're going to take a break, Tim. When we come back, you're going to share with us what she heard them say. We go into the break with Golden Earring, Twilight Zone. So, Tim, what were these guys up to? They grabbed this girl. Uh, there's two of them uh, right in the middle of town. They put this stuff on her face, and they did what? Is this where we get the nickname Face Peelers because of what they're trying to do? Yes. Um, and, and as I was saying before we went to the break, uh, the, this is where this is the first time I heard anyone tell me that they heard these people speak. And Talia said that as they were holding her, again, one guy had her from the back and he had her hand over her mouth. The other guy w- had her feet uh, was in front of her. And, and remember, they're on these platforms, and he's mixing this cream and he he smears it on her face one of the guys and as he's smearing it on her face by the way she refers to the larger individual she refers to him as the gringo and and the other guy she refers to as the peruvian and the gringo was taller much taller than me and the peruvian was about my height that's how she referred to them although she did not see any of their faces or anything like that but she called, but she refers to them in this manner because the gringo apparently, when he speaks, he has a an accent, a gringo accent, and a gringo, for those who don't know, is anyone who's who's non-Latino is a gringo, and and the Peruvian guy, she said, spoke just like any Peruvian, no accent, and they both spoke Spanish, and so when when the gringo is smearing the cream on her face, she hears the Peruvian face peeler say, "Be careful." Don't put too much on. You're going to ruin the flesh. And I asked her about that later. What 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 is she, what does she mean exactly? What did they mean? Does she think by that? And she said that 
she thinks what they mean is that it's they, they were saying something about how the if there's too much cream, it's going to make it difficult to separate the skin from the flesh when they cut her face off. And and that's precisely what they proceed to do after they put this cream on her face. They take out this small device. It's about, I don't know, about four inches long, and it has a blade on the tip. Doug and I believe that uh, it's a... It's a laser scalpel, the way she describes it. She she was just saying it. She didn't know exactly what it was, but it was some sort of a, a blade. And and they began to cut to make an incision. Now, when they started to make this incision under her jawline, so it's on her neck under her jawline, she began to struggle. And as she's struggling, uh, she starts to she, she she starts to push one of their helmets up. And they ended up making two incisions in the course of her struggling and she pushes one of their helmets up and, and, and there's this, um, there's this struggle that ensues briefly and they dropped her. And so momentarily she, she has this moment where she doesn't have the, her mouth isn't covered by the, by, by the, by the hand anymore. And so she's able to scream and she, she, she lets out this blood curling scream at the top of her lungs. Now, I suppose I should have I, I, I should have set the scene before I told this story because this was not I had originally thought that this was the first incident that this kicked off the whole face peeler incursions into the village. That's not true. The first incident was a different incident. It was an incident in which the somebody saw these guys creeping into the village, and so the village at this point in time, when these assailants are attempting to to cut her face off, apparently. The village is already in a heightened state of vigilance. So the neighbors are sitting on their, on, in front of their houses. They've got their shotguns and they've got their flashlights, and they're, they're, they're being vigilant because they've been told someone's trying to make an incursion. They heard that someone had seen these guys trying to make an incursion in the village previous to this incident. And so when she screams, her brother and her neighbors come running, and they come running with their, uh, with their flashlights. And several of them, I think five or six, when they ran up to the scene, they trained their flashlights right on these guys. And what they saw was these guys hovering on, their, on these circular boards, on these circular platforms, and they're sort of maneuvering around the trees because they know they're caught now. Talia's laying on the ground. Her face is bloody. And she seems to be unconscious. She says that... that after she screamed, she heard uh, the Peruvian guy started to take off on his on his on his on his platform, and and he said he said let's go let's go in Spanish and and the gringo said no we can't just leave her here that's what she told me she heard them say that and so the gringo proceeded to grab her by the hair and drag her and he apparently dragged her sort of up this hill, but but when everyone came running with the flashlights he let her go. And both of these guys were sort of scrambling, and they, they maneuvered their, their platforms to an area among the trees where it was open, where, where they could shoot up into the air, and that's exactly what they did. So all these guys, the, these other villagers who, are, who have their flashlights trained right on these, these assailants, they see them suddenly accelerate into the sky, up through the trees into the sky. And, of course, they, they were able to rescue... Uh, Talia and uh, and get her wounds treated and and she was uh, she was unconscious, um, 
And and by the way, Talia is very traumatized. Yeah, I can see that. I saw the interview you did with her. I don't speak Akitos, but she is obviously messed up by this. Oh, she's very. She's got. She's got severe PTSD. Uh, when we the, the, the when we initially tried to interview her, we encountered her in the village uh, one evening when everybody was playing volleyball and soccer, and she was sort of sitting by herself. She just as soon as she saw us, she started to tremble and to cry, and she hit her face from. She took her her hair and she covered the side of her face so we couldn't see her face, and she just absolutely did not want to talk to us because she was associating us with her assailants. And her father uh, eventually convinced her to, to talk with us the next morning. And so she did. She talked with us the next morning, but she was visibly shaken. You can't really see it in the video, but if you were standing next to her, you would have seen her trembling head to foot. And it was very difficult for her to talk. Eventually she did. Now, um, nobody else had mentioned anything about these guys speaking. Talia is the only one uh, who said that. And, of course, she had a very, very close encounter with these guys. Um, that's her testimony. Um, now, there is the possibility that some of what she said may be confabulation because she is so traumatized, and maybe she had previously the face peelers in her mind were always gringos, and so when she encountered them in this very violent encounter, she might have confabulated them speaking. Who knows the substance that they shot up her nose? Um, it might have put her in an altered state of consciousness. I don't know. That's Talia's testimony. And then there's, of course, a possibility she didn't hear them verbally. Rather, she heard them telepathically. There's all sorts of possibilities here. Um, But according to Talia, she heard them speak in Spanish, one in broken Spanish and one in typical Peruvian Spanish. Um, She did not see their faces. She did not lift the mask all the way up. Uh, She described, by the way, some very interesting details. She, She described to me the body armor in greater detail. And she said that when they land their platforms, when they're ready to take off again, they press a button on their boots and on their footwear, and that button allows them to, to, to hover off the ground on the platform. Uh, she gave us a bunch of little details like that. And again, this would just be an interesting story had not all these other villagers seen the assailants. And, and Talia laying there bloodied up, and they saw the assailants floating there very dexterously right. on these platforms through the trees and then shooting up into the sky uh, through the trees. Tim, let me ask you this. You're obviously familiar with the infamous Calaris incidents in Brazil. Uh, this is yeah. years ago, but the U.S., uh, the Brazilian Air Force, some U.S. government people went down there. There were uh, a lot of people who had severe injuries. I think a couple of them died, attacks by these unknown assailants from out of the sky using laser-like instruments to hunt hunters. Uh, Those were, you know, pretty dramatic, and there were deaths. In this case, is there anyone who's actually had their face peeled that you know of? Is there anybody who's disappeared or or altogether? Yes, yes. Okay. there's a video that that was circulating. Uh, it would it would it was on YouTube for a while. But I think they took it down. It's still on YouTube. I have it in a video that I published uh, a month ago or so. Uh, it's since been that video has since been uh, age restricted, so it doesn't show up in the algorithms anymore. But it is on my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is just Timothy Alberino, 
And there was an individual who was discovered somewhere in Peru, and now the villagers in, in San Antonio Pintuyacu told me that this, they were discovered not far from their village. This individual was discovered not far from their village. That's what they told me. I haven't been able to independently verify that, but that's what they told me. And this individual was a young male, um, probably early 20s, and the video depicts these two police officers who are pulling him. They're, 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 they're dragging him on the shore of the river, and you can clearly see half of his face is gone, probably three-fourths of his face is totally gone, and you can see the skin that's left. It's a precision cut. It's not depredation. It's not piranhas. Um, piranhas, when they consume something, yes, they can clean it to the bone, but usually you're going to have some, some nicks, the, the teeth of the piranhas nick the bone, and it's very messy. Uh, the parts of the flesh that are not eaten, are, it's messy. It's exactly what you would expect. Um, and, but this individual, uh, this victim, his face was removed with precision. The cut was very clean. And, and they told me in the village, they all knew about that incident, and they told me that was a Pelacata attack. And it wasn't the first one. And again, remember, this, is a, you know, this goes back to the 80s, so this has been happening every now and again. It's not like it's happening all the time. It's like there's flats. It, 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 it comes and goes. This was the first time ever that San Antonio de Pintuyacu was attacked. Um, but, but, but people have died, and even during this year, close to the incident that occurred in San Antonio, an, a, a young man apparently had his face peeled. And, um, oh, and another, and there was another young man uh, who during the same period of time also was attacked, allegedly by face peelers. He was attacked in a different village. I think it's, uh, I think it's called uh, Bagasan. I don't remember the name of the village exactly, but it's, but it's, I learned about this when I was in Nauta, a different, it's really a jungle city um, that's, that's about two hours uh, from Iquitos. Um, and this individual, this young man, this was, this, this was a teenage boy. He, you can still find videos of him online. He, it was a very gory scene with this kid. Somebody cut into his neck on both sides, deep wounds. He bled out. It was very graphic, and he nearly died. And it was, he, he describes the same thing, the same sort of phenomenon, guys you know, in armored bodysuits, uh, floating around on these on these hoverboard circular hoverboard platforms, and uh, thank thank God he was he was able to be rescued and taken to the hospital, and uh, and he survived he survived but his injuries were very very graphic. Um, that video is still circulating. Um, some of it's blurred, uh, but there are I've actually seen the the video of both of those incidents, the unblurred. Uh, renditions of those videos, and they're both very graphic. So yes, people have died. Now, can I? I don't know for sure if that boy. I haven't been able to interview him, but I don't know if that was a Pelacata attack. That's what everyone says. Everyone tells me that was a Pelacata attack, both in Nauta and in San Antonio de Pintuyacu. You and your colleague Doug uh, helped not only with supplies, but you gave them some equipment and some tactical training. Teach these guys right. how to go out and and defend themselves and, and not shoot themselves in the foot uh, or, or hurt somebody else. Uh, has there been any incidents since you left? Are you still in touch no. with them? Uh, yes, I'm still in touch with them. There have not been any incidents since I left. 
Uh, yeah, so in addition to the rice and beans and bread and all the other stuff and the medical supplies that we brought to the village, we also provision them with strategic technology, including very high-powered flashlights, radios, they did not have radios, thermal binoculars, and night vision goggles with recording capabilities. So those guys, <laughs> should, that, should, should the phenomenon uh, occur again in the village, these guys are ready to defend themselves and to film it with these night vision goggles and these high-powered flashlights. And yes, Doug and, uh, and our Navy guys, um, we, one evening, one night, we had all of the men who do the patrols come into the, they call it the Tombo, that government building I talked about earlier, and we drilled them, Doug drilled them on uh, how, to, how to march in a column, uh, how to properly handle their firearms, because these guys were just, you know, in the jungle, you go out to these villages, and they're just waving the barrels of their guns all over the place haphazardly. Um, and uh, so uh, the, Doug was able to give, and, and our Navy guys were able to give them some training. Um, and, and we left these guys very well equipped. As soon as we trained them on how to use the radios, how to, we divided up their village into six sectors corresponding to the radios. These guys, that very night, were out on patrol, communicating on the radios, using the thermal binoculars, using the night vision, using the high-powered flashlights. It, I mean, it, it, was, it was pretty remarkable. Those guys, uh, they picked it up really fast, and, and I, I'm, I'm confident that right now at this very moment in, in that village, they're patrolling with this technology, and I'm sure that uh, if, if the phenomenon happens again, they're going to they're gonna capture it. Um, with these night vision goggles, and uh, they're going to send me the footage because they have recording capability. The the, the goggles we gave them. So I'm on, I'm standing by to receive word from from the Apu and from the other villagers uh, should uh, something else happen. Could be it. They've just whoever they are coming out of the sky. They've decided to go uh, peel faces somewhere else that where they don't have this kind of uh, tactical capability. Some easy. To I target. imagine so. And we were in the village for three days and two nights conducting the investigation, and on the two nights, we stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning, both nights, ready with, uh, we, had a, we had a thermal camera, we were well equipped to film the phenomenon, but I think by the time we got there, it probably had moved on. These, whatever these things guys are, and by the way, there's several possibilities. We could be dealing with human beings, very nefarious human beings in possession of advanced technology, maybe some sort of deep state entity, uh, that's doing harvesting, organ, who knows? Or we could be dealing with non-human beings, or we could be dealing with a combination of both. So uh, I, I don't know. I suspect that they're human beings with advanced technology. That's my working hypothesis. Wow. Well, Tim, uh, fascinating story. Gosh, I, I almost wish we had a couple more hours here, but we'll have you come back and, and talk about it some more. I encourage people to go to your YouTube channel and take a look at this video because all the stuff that we're describing, the places where these things happen, the uh, drawings of the craft, uh, some artwork that where it sure looks like these guys kind of resemble big, tall praying mantises uh, in, in some of the uh, the art that you included in your video. It's great work, uh, great courage. Thanks for filling us in. Can't th- uh, can't thank you enough, and hope you'll keep us in the loop in case something else happens down there. Well, thank you so much, George, for having me on. It was was my pleasure. We'll talk to you again. That's Tim Alberino. And, folks, we've got links to uh, Tim's uh, contact info on the Coast to Coast website. I encourage you to check that video out on YouTube. It's fascinating stuff. That was one heck of a story.
We're going to go into the break now with the B-52s Rome, a story about uh, world travelers who don't actually have to leave home. 